Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. If you like your true crime, concise, straight to the point, and the facts when they're available, and without drama from other channels, then this is your channel. Hey, let me just ask that after listening to the video, if you find you enjoyed it or learned something new, please smash that like button. Also, please consider subscribing. It's a free way you can help me. And if you want to support the channel further, consider a Patreon membership. There's a link in the description. By now, most of us true crime aficionados are aware that a 59-year-old architect from Long Island, New York, named Rex Hewerman, has been charged in connection with the deaths of three young women whose remains were found stashed in burlap sacks in a marshy area along Gilgo Beach in Long Island. Hewerman lived about 20 to 30 minutes by car away from that dumping ground. Today I want to talk about the latest news to come out about the case and about the psychology that likely fueled the crimes. Before I begin, let me say that Rex Hewerman is currently presumed innocent. He's not been convicted yet. However, the evidence against him is, in a word, compelling. Currently in jail, Hewerman is reportedly being very quiet with the authorities, and he reportedly is keeping to himself. Upon his arrest, he immediately requested an attorney. So this guy is not admitting to nada, at least so far, and in that respect, he is not similar to serialist Dennis Rader, who confessed to his crimes. Over the weekend, a neighbor who lives near the Hewerman family home in Massapequa Park, Long Island, stated that the authorities had told him that there was a soundproof room in the rather crumbling Long Island family home. And according to that same neighbor, the police allegedly said that one victim they believe, died in that room. However, this morning, police on Long Island are denying that there's a soundproof room in the house. There is, however, a large locked vault. If it's true that the police believe a victim was done in in that locked vault, I'm wondering what evidence led them to that conclusion. I'm thinking they either found blood spatter from that victim or perhaps photos and or videos taken of that victim in that vault. It's also possible that cell phone records have placed both Rex Hewerman and that victim at the Hewerman family home on the night the victim vanished. I'm thinking that if Hewerman had a locked vault and the three victims were lured to his home, then it's probably going to turn out that more victims died there. We also know that Hewerman's alleged type of serialist is that of a sexual sadist. This is someone who gets his jollies by inflicting physical and or 
psychological suffering on another person. He can do this through humiliating a person, causing them extreme fear and terror. We know that rope and a handcuff key were found at the Hewerman home. A logical inference would be that Hewerman used them on his victims. Personally, I fear that Rex Hewerman being into woodworking and furniture making may translate into him using some of those tools on his victims. I also fear that these crimes may involve some degree of dismemberment. Another detail that has come out from a high school friend is that Rex Hewerman's father died when he was either 11 or 12. It is possible that the trauma of such a loss could have contributed to Hewerman allegedly turning into a sick killing machine. If he has deep-seated trauma and grief that were never dealt with, that could contribute to him developing an antisocial personality. Rex Hewerman has also been said to have been a mama's boy and that his mother, Dolores, was very controlling. By the way, she's still alive at age 93 and is said to either be living with a daughter or in a care home. I wonder if she is aware of the crimes that her son has been accused of. We've also learned that Rex was bullied in high school. That is likely another contributing factor that molded the man who was allegedly capable of such brutal acts. And thanks to another acquaintance of Hewerman's in high school, we know that he was displaying behaviors designed to inflict harm on others. One woman recounted how Rex Hewerman, without telling anyone, messed with the weights on the pulley system for curtains used on the drama club's stage. As a teenager, it was this girl's job to pull the curtains open and closed on the stage. And when she went to open the curtains during a performance of Arsenic and Old Lace, her body shot up toward the ceiling. She could have been seriously injured or even killed. After that, Rex Hewerman apologized. But now the curtains needed a stronger person to control them, so guess who got the job? Rex Hewerman. To me, this demonstrates an already sick mind that doesn't have any care or empathy for other living beings. I learned from Hidden True Crime yesterday that all serialists have four general characteristics. Serialists tend to be, one, controlling, two, domineering, three, thrill-seeking, four, desirous of media attention. Of these four, the strongest one we see so far in Rex Hewerman is domineering. He appears to be a man who wants to be in control. Physically, he has a height of six feet, four inches. He's quite broad and heavy. The man who did the videoed interview with him said his handshake felt like cold marble. And one witness who saw him in 2010 described him as an ogre. I do wonder if this desire for domination resulted from having a reportedly very controlling mother and or from being bullied in school. The Gilgo Beach victims 
were all working as escorts who advertised on Craigslist, which put them in a very high-risk lifestyle. Thus, it would appear that Hewerman's preferred victims were vulnerable in terms of their work. Also, they were all petite and slender. They were young in age, 20-somethings. They were financially frail. They didn't have a lot of money. And some had addictions that they were struggling with. Hewerman seems to to also have a thing for young females ages 10 to 12 based on his online search history. And I'll say it again, that if we look at those searches, we can see that he had an interest in children, in young girls, like I said, ages 10 to 12 or so. I feel it was easier for him to lure potential victims to his neighborhood by using escorts from Craigslist. First of all, it sounds like there was a never-ending supply, and he could see their photos and pick and choose his preferred victim. Were those petite women substitutes for the little girls that he would have preferred to have victimized? Escorts are available under the veil of night. Children are usually home in bed. I have to believe from those searches that if Hewerman had his druthers, he would have had little girls in that vault. Think about it. He had that little girl doll, that really creepy doll in a glass case. Hewerman, by luring females to his stomping ground on Long Island, a place where he'd lived his whole life, was ensuring that he had the upper hand geographically. If he did, in fact, harm the women at his house in that vault, that would have given him the ultimate control, especially if you factor in rope and handcuffs and tape and belts. Investigators are currently digging in the Hewerman's yard, and they have had cadaver dogs out there as well, so it appears they feel additional remains could be out there. The investigators are also on the hunt for any trophies Hewerman may have kept from the victims such as the victim's phones, articles of their clothing, jewelry, their IDs. They're also looking for notebooks, ledgers, Bibles, personal effects, and or photographs or recordings depicting the victims. They're also looking for scissors, cutting implements, firearms and ammo, bullet fragments and shell casings, hunting blinds, restraints, belts, textile yarns, polyester fibers, cotton fibers, any variety of tape. We know tape was used also to control the victims along with belts. The authorities are also looking for condoms, cut distal ends of black leather belts, devices used to stamp letters onto leather goods such as belts. This makes me wonder if Rex is the person who stamped his grandfather William's initials onto that belt. W H for William Hewerman. That belt was left behind by the perpetrator at the burial site of one of the victims. Officials are also looking for locked rooms, storage areas, more vaults, cabinets, safes, closets, containers, hidden compartments, and more. And here's the oddest item they're looking for. They're looking for bounty paper towel. This brand of paper towels was specifically on a search warrant, and they were looking for 
the Bounty Modern Print Collection. Very interesting. Was one of those paper towels found with one of the victims? Let's go back to that characteristic of being domineering. One witness, Paul Schaller, who was victim Amber Costello's roommate, said that the man who called Amber for her services before she vanished contacted her three to four times and was promising her $1,500 in amount significantly higher than her normal rate. Amber, per Schaller, never left her own residence for these tricks, so whatever the man said in those three to four calls was enough to convince Amber to break her own safety rules and to leave her home without her phone and purse. The man clearly knew how to be persuasive. And apparently, the same man was at Amber's house the day before when Paul Schaller got home, and he said he found Amber in the bathroom behind a locked door, and she was terrified of the man. And Paul and this man, who is believed to have been Rex Hewerman, got into fisticuffs, and eventually Hewerman left the residence. But he later texted Amber to say that what she did was not very nice. And it sounds like he lured her the next evening out of the safety and security of her own home, away from her friend Paul, without her phone, without her purse. And I'm thinking that he possibly punished her for what she'd done the day before, locking herself in the bathroom, possibly not giving him the services he paid for by taking her life. I mean, I think there are some escorts that Hewerman allegedly spent time with who perhaps he did not kill. Let's talk about the thrill-seeking characteristic of serialists. We know they usually start by fantasizing about their crimes. We know that whoever did in the Gilgo Four put a lot of planning into the crimes. He was rather meticulous in how he buried the bodies, where he placed them, where he concealed them. If Hewerman's the guy, he dodged the authorities for 13 years. That's pretty good for a serialist. Hewerman also enjoyed talking about the Gilgo Beach case. This likely gave him another thrill. He proactively brought the topic up with a woman named Nikki Brass. She's the brave young lady who came forward to say that she'd had a date with Hewerman back in 2015, and she described him bringing the case up in conversation and then getting visibly excited talking about the crime and possibly sharing information about it that hadn't yet been publicized. Nikki said he clearly got off on talking about it. And a lady in a professional networking group that Rex was a part of said that he talked about the case to her as well. So he clearly was dying to talk about the crimes he committed and to take credit for them. But he didn't want to get caught, so this was the next best thing. Whoever committed the crimes also used two of the victim's cell phones to call their family members and torment them, first with the dashed hope that comes when they see their missing loved one calling them, only to hear a man's voice saying the horrible things he did to them, and then topping it all off with a statement saying that he killed their loved one. Victim Melissa Bartholomew's mother and 15-year-old sister 
were called eight times by the perpetrator, and in the final call, he told the 15-year-old sister that he'd done Melissa in. Not only did he derive pleasure from harming the victims, he enjoyed tormenting their family. What a sick F. This brings us to the media attention that most serialists crave. Hewerman googled words like the Gilgo Beach murder investigation something like 200 times. He was likely reading every article and listening to every podcast about the case. Part of this was enjoying the media attention. Another part was trying to figure out what was going on with the investigation. I think for him, Hearing talk of his alleged dark deeds was part of the pleasure. It also likely made him feel successful. I'm guessing all that bullying in high school left him with low self-esteem. If he couldn't be a world-famous architect, then at least he could be a notorious serialist. I suspect he's very proud of his sick crimes and of his 13-year track record of eluding the authorities. And when he was arrested, apparently the first words out of his mouth were, one, for what? Very coy, play dumb, ask what you're being arrested for. And two, is this in the news? He didn't ask, does my wife know? Do my children know? How are they doing? Instead, he wanted to know if it was in the news. You have to wonder if that's him being concerned that his name is finally out there and that he's been unmasked, or is it because he's going to now move into phase two of enjoying being a notorious serialist? Unfortunately for Rex Hewerman, the crimes he's been accused of put him at a very high risk of being targeted in jail and prison. The guards are going to have to protect him 24-7 because the other prisoners already have it out for him for allegedly harming females and possibly also that toddler whose remains were found along the remote stretch in Long Island. If Hewerman is found guilty, I hope he lives each day of his life in terror. That would be just karma in my mind. Unfortunately, New York does not have the death penalty. Let's talk a bit about what's come out about his family. It turns out his wife, Aza Ellerup, and his two grown children, a 26-year-old daughter named Victoria, and an adult son who is said, or stepson, who's said to have a disability of some sort, have not been to the jail to visit their husband and father. Asa has filed for divorce, which may be a move to protect family assets, but also to make her feelings about Rex now clear to everyone. No one else has been to visit Hoyerman either, except for his attorney. It's come out that Asa and the adult children shopped for the family groceries together, and they used food stamps to pay. Now, supposedly, Rex Hewerman made a good salary. But of course, we also heard that he stole clementine oranges from the local Whole Foods one time. So it sounds like he perhaps kept a tight rein on his money and possibly lied to the authorities to qualify for food stamps. We know he spent some money on land in South Carolina. He also bought into a timeshare condo 
in Las Vegas. He was also paying for two storage units. And by the way, when Asa and the children shopped, according to a clerk, they appeared joyless and they weren't very open and chatty. So I'm getting the feeling that Rex Huerman not only kept his money under lock and key, he also kept the family the same way. The neighbors have said the family stuck to itself. Rex and his wife seemed weird. Rex would chop wood in the yard and stare menacingly at people if they dared to say hello to him. No wonder the neighborhood parents banned their kids from trick-or-treating at the Hewerman house. The dilapidated state of that family home, by the way, also points to Rex not spending money for its upkeep, not caring if it looked dilapidated, and perhaps putting his money into a special locked vault and into those escorts. I do feel that images of his wife, Aza, make her look rather browbeaten. That's all for now on this case. You can be sure I'll be back tomorrow with all the latest news. I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Please do me a favor and smash that like button. See you next time on Bed Crime Stories.